Twitch. Okay, we're we're now streaming live on Facebook, and if you're just boining, if you're just boining, if you're just boining, <laughs> just boining in the morning, like you know, <laughs> you know it's a rough start when you can't say the word. If you're just joining us, if you're just boining us, we're talking yeah. about those. I don't even know what they're called. Those bags of soil I see every spring. They're called bags of soil. Oh, I don't think. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. They are, and uh, yeah, and they're it's it's they compress it pretty good in there, right? And the, and it's nice and neat in your driveway and everything, but you pay for it. Uh, I've never used that service because, as I say, when I get uh, soil or mulch dropped, I get right to her. I get her done. You get like her done in a couple and hours. So you get it dumped on. They dump it on your driveway, so it's a big mound of soil. You yes, distribute I put a tarp it. Down. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I, I wanted put a to know. Tarp down, and then they drop it, and then uh, I go rent a wheelbarrow yeah. from the from the Home Depot because they have nice big wheelbarrows with big tires on them, and uh, <laughs> you won't be caught. Where you won't be caught without a good wheelbarrow. Uh, I'm just no, curious, well, you're, though. You're, like, as much yard work as you do, and I'm being serious. I'm not, there's no joke at the end of this. No. I would think with as much war- yard work as you have done in the time I've known you, you wouldn't already own a rugged well, I used to. wheelbarrow. I used to, and the tire would go flat a lot. But mm-hmm. here's the thing with the wheelbarrow, fellas. <laughs> I can go over to Home Depot and for 20 bucks rent it for the day and take it back. If I have my own wheelbarrow, it's taking up room in the garage, oh, taking no. up room in the backyard, and then if the fi- tire goes flat, it's a pain in the ass. Honestly, to buy a good wheelbarrow, you're talking two to three hundred bucks. As often as often as I need it, whip over to Home Depot, twenty bucks for the day, throw it in the back of the truck, use it, take it back, done with it. Love it, love that system. I'm um, looking here, raw wheelbarrows at Home Depot. $289. Here's one that's $339. you are right. They're pretty expensive. Oh, anything you, you under 200 bucks <laughs> is, is anything under 200 bucks is a waste of time. You could get this uh, pretty uh blue one that's just for kids for mm. <laughs> $58. You know, when I had a home when I was a grown man with uh yards and lawns and having to get it aerated and do yard work, I had a wheelbarrow, but I don't I don't think I paid 300 for it. It was probably a cheaper version. Yeah, but as I say, you can go over. I can go over the today and probably buy one for 159 bucks. but they're next to useless. They're really thin, and the tires are small. And You, you need a wheel, wheelbarrow with a nice, big, thick tire so yes. that it's easily maneuverable. You know, you can maneuver it easy. Dan, Those before... little ones are more a pain in the ass than anything. All right, well, I don't want to get you aggravated because, you know, I know it's a... It's a big day in Leafland. We're going to get to that. Dan, um, do you, uh, before you had to get rid of all your junk, you must have had some crazy good wheelbarrows at your old place. You must have yeah, had I, had a, I had a good construction wheelbarrow. You know, the kind of one that uh, you would mix concrete in. I, I was going to say, you could probably mix concrete in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, you know, in my construction days, I used one, and that's what we did a lot with those big, huge, heavy-duty ones. Sure. And then, and then, and then you'd, sna- you'd snap them with a hammer after it all dried, and then all the stuff would come off the, the sides of the barrel. What I miss that era, your construction days. What era was that? When was your construction days? Were you a construction worker? Yeah, I did stuff with uh, my, my pal Stu. For many oh, years. that week, right? <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. You know, the guy's you. just trying to make it. He's yeah. just trying to make his way in the world, you know? Uh-huh. Not, not. <laughs> I helped put a wing on a house, but that was, you yeah. know, middle of winter one year. Mm-hmm. Hey, wings go on planes, not houses. No wonder okay, he dumped here. it. By the way, <laughs> that's why you were drummed out of the industry. <laughs> why the fuck are you trying to put Why is there a inside? wing on that house? Dad's like, I think it looks good. It's aerodynamic. It'll keep the rain off. <laughs> I checked with your Home Depot, by the way, and and one of those yards, they're a cubic yard in in a lovely uh, Home Depot bag. It's orange. Um, They're about 200 bucks. 200 bucks. That's a lot for delivery. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the deal. I can go up to the place just north of me, and I can get probably three yards dumped on my driveway for like 150. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, very good. Good talk about yard work and cubic yards and Dan affixing uh, wings onto homes. I thought we would start the show kind of like we did yesterday. This kid that's interning for us, Kyle Kirby, is really, you know, coming into his own week three of his internship. Listen to this stuff. If you want to compare Canada uh, to anything, it's like uh, Hitler's Germany, and we're like the Jews, eh? Yeah, you are. (laughs) It's funny. First of all, Kyle, great job. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I just gave him, I don't know if you guys saw the note I sent him. It would just be cool. It doesn't matter, but great job. But that guy at the end, we've all heard that clip. It's like they're the Nazis and we're the Jews. Now, I don't know who that guy is, but he's going to grow older, and that clip is going to follow him. For the rest of his days. Yeah, I know. It's well, even the, the the woman there. You can hear. We just want her freedom. Eh? Mm-hmm. We just want her freedom. Yeah, well, you just, do. I, I'd like a two minute conversation with her. Just again, oh, you, wouldn't two <laughs> you wouldn't need two minutes. You wouldn't need two minutes. It wouldn't take that long. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just, what would you do for the other minute forty seconds <laughs> while so, she just blinked at you? But see, see, that's the whole point, right? You know, we talked about those catchphrases. How do you, how do you lasso a simpleton? You throw a word like that out, and mm. that is that just proves it right there. They understand freedom, me, eh? mm-hmm. and, and immigration. Say immigration, they got something to say about yeah, critical race theory. Eh? Um, but the guy who said, uh, "Yeah, let me explain. <laughs> let me break it down for you." Yeah, it's like they're the Nazis and we're the Jews. How long would it take that guy? And I to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. What part of you being the Jews are you like? Yeah. No, I know. Are you, are you the Jews before they were taken from their homes and put in, mm-hmm. you know, gas chambers? Or were you the Jews after? Mm-hmm. At what part in Jew land, in Jew history are you? <laughs> Jesus. Right. And that's what I was talking about yesterday, too. This, uh, again, I'm not big on Trudeau, but, you know, calling him a dictator. What he did in Ottawa was just like any other dictator around the world. Mm. That's just so ridiculous. So far out there, especially again, you know, you you know, you can use what actually happened in Nazi Germany to what that guy said, or you can use what Putin's doing now as a dictator to the people of Ukraine and then label Trudeau with that. Like, are you a moron? Like, it's 
it's just better to stay away from it because you just get aggravated. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I know people <laughs> listening to the podcast are like, wow, that shit just turned quickly. Humble and Fred, Humble and Fred went from some fun wheelbarrow yard talk. <laughs> it's like, it's like you know, we're supposed to be impressed that this Poliev guy is is attracting crowds. Well, that's who he's attracting. Yeah, the freedom people. Got to get yeah, our freedoms that, back. Yeah, yeah, that's who he's attracting. So, yeah, great, super. Here's how I would start the conversation. I don't know about you, but I would say, listen, explain this to me like I'm a dumb Jew. Explain it yes. to me. <laughs> tell me my freedoms, how they've yeah. been, what are the freedoms I don't have, and tell me how uh, you're like the Jews in Nazi Germany. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's my opening question. <laughs> Over to you, Fred. God damn. Let's, uh, let's, you know what? We've got lots of joy. We've got lots to celebrate today. We're going to look back on a series that was more than a hockey game or a series of games. It was a turning point in not only Canadian hockey history, but some say it was a turning point in history in general. I'm, I'm not overstating this. I'm talking about the, uh, the book from... Uh, Scott Morrison is going to join us. It's called 1972, the year that changed hockey forever. And uh, I know that Fred and I have got lots of memories of it, but I just before Dan, I'm just curious, does that ring any bells for you? Were you do you remember watching it in school or did it or not school, but did you remember watching that through the summer or me? Yes, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, vaguely. It wasn't a huge deal for me. Really? Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, I, my brother was huge into is still mm. a big hockey For sure. fan, and and so there, I was aware of it, and and I you know saw some of the goals, but you know, interesting. You know what's interesting because it transcends sports, really, at the time. Yeah, and and I was sixteen, so it was. I was a, it was a great age for me because I was 16 years old. I was aware. I was really into sports. So it was a perfect time for me for that to happen. And, Dan, you were 15. I'm just surprised at that age. Howard, you were pretty young for that. No, like, what, I was 12. I mean, it was yeah. literally. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine a couple years older than Johnny Slapshot, what hockey yeah. meant to me. I've told you. Mm-hmm. like In the years up until I was 16 years old, hockey was as big was a much bigger focus in my life than golf was and it was a similar focus in my life then as golf is now so it was a huge thing for me um anyways dan and, and, um, and those games literally more than half the country back in 1972 tuned yeah. in for those games so that's why i'm 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 sort of surprised that anyone didn't get sucked into it that's all you know, uh, well, we're going to we're going to well, we're going to talk uh, hockey with Scott Morrison. Also, we'll talk a little leaf hockey and uh, I will read you today on the show the uh, text messages back and forth between Fred and I last night during the game. And uh, the first one will surprise you. Surprised me. Uh, in the meantime, here's our very good friend, Daniel Duraniel. This episode of Humble and Fred is broadcast to the world from Humble and Fred Studios in Brampton, Toronto, and the southern shores of Lovesick Lake. It is brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, and our newest sponsor, Hush Blankets, with a 100-night guarantee on all their products. And now here are two men who decided not to go to the Met Gala because they had nothing see-through to wear. It's Humble and Fred. Thank you, Dan. Let's talk about the quality of your sleep. You know, a lot of people struggle. I had for years. For you. 
Sleep is such a uh, big indicator of your overall health. And Hush, as Dan said, our newest sponsor. Hush is an industry-leading sleep brand that carries a wide range of sleep essentials for every sleeper. Whether you're a hot sleeper or a cold sleeper, Hush has what you need to get the uh, job done. They carry everything from pillows and sheets to their best-selling weighted blankets. That's what you may have heard of them. You know, the Hush, the famous Hush weighted blanket and mattresses. They even have their iced technology, which keeps you cool all night long, and their iced weighted blankets and mattresses. If you're looking to improve your nightly rest naturally, Hush is the answer. Hush has a 100-night Guarantee on all their products. Try it for 100 nights and return it with no hassle whatsoever. Okay, and now uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, if you're looking to upgrade your sleep, head to hushblankets.com. Hushblankets.com. Our code is H U M B L E. Hushblankets.com and H U M B L E gets you 10% off. That is the highest discount they offer exclusively for Humble and Fred listeners. Okay, there you go. Yes, and um, uh, quickly, Bodog, let me just tell you, the line's already out on Game 2, the Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning. Even money to bet Tampa Bay. This is on the win. It'll cost you 120 to bet the Leafs, the over-under 6 on that game. So the Maple Leafs holding steady as the favorite in that series with their home games, right? You following? Yeah, it's yeah. All, it's all nothing but wonderfulness with your Maple Leafs. Now, whether you're a sports better, a horse racing fan, a poker, a casino player, uh, Bodog, your number one source of online gambling entertainment from their industry-leading odds, world-class sportsbook, and feature-rich poker room to their fully loaded casino and race book. They've been providing Canadian players with an unparalleled gaming experience since 1994. You know, it wouldn't be a Humble and Fred show. Dan, before you go, I thought you could stick around for like another 90 seconds of us ranting about the same, same shit every day. The what? Ranting about the same shit every day, which is the weather. The first thing I see this morning when I didn't have a great sleep, I'll just tell you that I need a hush, bl- I need a hush blanket. Uh, I woke up, it was quarter to five. And I uh, go and look at the forecast because I've got some golf lined up for the next couple of days. I got, I'm supposed to play on Friday and I'm playing tomorrow in our Ladies' Day, as Fred calls it. And the first thing I see is the red ribbon, ribbon of doom special weather statement. It, it really, and again, I, I don't want to keep, I don't want to do an hour on this, but it is relentlessly one of the shittiest <laughs> shittiest springs apparently there's 20 to 30 millimeters of rain moving in there Frida oh yeah oh yeah is that going to affect your uh, your game on like uh, later in the week is well it, no tomorrow I'm, I'm, no no tomorrow I'm going to play I'm just saying if you're Today isn't about golf. It's just about the fact that it's going to be crappy again. And then next couple of days are going to be sort of up and down. Next week, apparently, it's going to be above 20 every day. So just hang on another another couple of days. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, that would be nice. Just a few sustained days of nice weather would be nice. Like three or four in a row. Wouldn't that be something? Why not? Mm-hmm. Dan, uh, you uh, used to do weather. Do you have any insights before you uh, leave us for a bit? I just say that this system is moving through, and, and uh, after tonight into tomorrow, then uh, the temperatures, it, it, it's wildly, uh, it's wild how different forecasts are, different models are saying different things, so it's going to be a warmer day. If the, the one I like is 16 degrees for tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's 16, Thursday sunny and 16, but then back to 12 on Friday. 
I can't do 12 anymore. Yeah, 12. I'm not 12. <laughs> but the weekend oh, will be okay. nice for 16, 19, hang, I know. Hang on a second. Excuse, are you, excuse me for being emphatic, Mr. Emphatic. It's going to be 12. 12. <laughs> telling you. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's 12. Don't lie to me. It's 12. You know our uh, buddy Johnny Ellison, who we had on uh, the run-up to the election? Yeah, from uh, Maryland, right? Annapolis, Maryland. Yeah. You know, he sent me a thing yesterday. Like, it's summer there, right? Like, okay, it's five or six hours south of here, but, you know, 23 degrees. He's put his boat in the lake. The pool is open at the house. Sunny. Everybody's sitting at, you know, know, waterfront bars. And (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) I love. That's a great way to end. I know. It's going to be 12. 12 degrees. God damn. I can't do 12 anymore. It's not built for it. Okay, uh, Dan. Uh, Dan's news coming up about an hour from now, maybe less. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, hope guys, uh, hope guys, make it till then. You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Scott Morrison will be here talking uh, 1972 hockey. It is fascinating. I mean, I don't, I don't want to bug Dan too much, but how uh, how how the 1972 series escaped him is really a special. He's a special guy. I mean, it, it, he is because he he's so into what he's into that he could ignore that. Uh, for me, it was a huge thing in our family. Certainly my dad and I it was a huge thing. Watched every game and uh, and like that. But uh, yeah, listen, teaches. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I skipped school. I got permission to skip school that day from my parents. But, you know, in uh, like game seven, like they brought TVs yeah. into the classrooms and like I was going to say that that's what they yeah. brought. They brought a TV into our hallway. Uh huh. And the only other time I remember them doing that was the moon landing. Yeah. Like and it was then, a big uh, deal. Even my mom, I remember they listened Mama. to it on the radio where at work and she was all excited <laughs> when Henderson scored the goal, called me and. You know, and she never watched hockey for a second. But that's what I'm saying. It sort of it transcended the sport. It became a nationalistic thing that you couldn't help be drawn into, except if you're Dan Durant. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't read the, the Morrison book, but I did read the foreword mm-hmm. by Phil Esposito this morning. Very interesting. I'll, I'll quote some mm-hmm. of it when we get uh, Scott on the show. But in the meantime, let's talk about last night's hockey game. And I think I've said this a million times. I don't like the team. I love Leaf fans, so grew up. I just grew up hating the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. But I've lived here long enough to have an affinity for the team. So, comes the playoffs. Where was I last night? Watching the game from the moment the puck was dropped, I got all excited. And at some point, I uh, checked in with the Fred man, thinking you were like me watching this hockey game. So, I. The first time I texted Fred, it was 8.54, and the Leafs had gone up 3-0. I write, 3-0. Tell me you don't have a bony, I say to Fred. Fred comes right back. You actually informed me. I'm watching the Jays with Dahl. Three periods, and you have to win four. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that... It's kind of a downer, but okay. I go, true, but they're playing a dandy first 30 minutes or so. I'll check back in later for more of your sunny disposition. <laughs> then uh, then the yeah. next second I go, this just in. Marner scored. Now try not to touch oneself. Because I know, uh, and they made a mention of it last night in the broadcast, Marner hasn't scored a playoff point since 2019. Right. Mm-hmm. 
That's at 910. You come back. Tippy, now I'm hard. Then the next time I'm like, Tippy, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, I have no idea. And he comes back. I mean, yippee. <laughs> I laugh. I say, I thought you were touching your tippy. Also, Marner's second point. Because now I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to dig at you, but I'm just trying to say, hey, you're not watching the game, and Marner's got a couple of points. Then I write back, okay, well, 5 nothing will surely be enough. Going to bed now. Also, this Matthews kid is pretty good. And your final text to me is, a great start. Will there be a great finish? So that kind of sums up your philosophy about the Leafs. Uh, I, I've absorbed it, obviously, being your partner. Um, you you surprised me, though, by not at least checking out the first game. Well, let me explain that. The Jays game started at 7, and as I said, I've told you, Delise really loves the Blue Jays. And I was kidding with her yesterday, saying, are we going to watch the Jays or the Leafs tonight? She laughed at me because she has no interest in hockey, even playoff hockey. She loves her Blue Jays. So that game started at 7, so I sat and watched it with her. And it was interesting, the Jays game as most of them have been this year. So it got past 7.30. And, I, and, and on the baseball game, they said it's one nothing Leafs, Jake Muzzin scored. So I thought, oh, okay, cool. When this game ends or during a lull, I'll switch over. And then I'm watching more of the, the Jays game, and then I get that text from you. And I thought, oh, wow, they've scored two quick ones. So then I went and got my iPad, and I watched the Jays game, and I had my iPad with the Leaf game on in my lap, and I saw it for the most part. Again, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't get I can't get excited this early. I just can't. It's it's not within me. I've been there. I've been up this road before. I've seen this happen before. You know, the city's going crazy this morning. You're reading TSN and the <laughs> Sportsnet pages, and everybody's it, it's great, guys. Super, yeah, super. They were up 3-1 against Montreal, a much shittier team last year, and it was the same bullshit. Oh, we're glorious. We're wonderful. We're the world is our I oyster know. and I all know, this buddy. shit. I've seen it. I know. And I, and I thought about this quite a bit last night on the way to bed. I thought, what it must be like for you versus what it must be like, because I was corresponding with some Humble and Fred listeners last night mm-hmm. who were texting me I, I, about, is Freddie must be going crazy and blah, blah, blah. I texted back. I said, I don't think Fred's even watching. And the reason I, I was thinking about, okay, so Fred's been a Leaf fan for the better part of half a century or more, mm-hmm. maybe more. But these, so if you're younger than Fred, and this is what I thought, if you're somebody in your 30s and 40s, you haven't had 50 plus years of aggravation. So you still might have sort of hope at some level. Like you, and, and, and I was sort of kidding you this morning. Of course, people are excited. It was an exciting game. It, I haven't watched one game since last year's playoff, mm-hmm. but I can tell you as somebody that has a little bit of a hockey brain. It was pretty good. They got a pretty good little team and I can see why they did so well in the regular season because they, Uh they're, they're pretty exciting to watch, but I don't have the history you do. And I don't know what they're going to be like when they get a little push on them. You know, the year before collapsing to Montreal, they were up three games to two against Boston and had game six at home. (laughs) And all they had to do was win that game to advance. And Freddie Anderson sucked the big one. You know, they collapsed, and then they lose Game 7. So, yeah, super. They won 5 nothing last night. They beat a great team 5 nothing. But I saw an email we got this morning from Dean Mitrovich, you know, basically saying, you know, a, a start like that 
will make the crash even worse if it comes. Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I really do. I know you do, buddy. Yeah. Like, I, nothing would be... Listen, if the Leafs advance to the second round, I'm hanging off every minute of every game. Mm-hmm. I just am. I, I, I am. But don't kid yourself. This thing is far from freaking over. Like any other, the thing with the Leafs now is to win game two, go up 2 nothing, make put them in a position where they have to win four of the last five games. But they probably won't do that. They'll make it difficult on themselves. Could be wrong. And do, under, and do understand, I'm not, I, I, I completely empathize with you. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why I said I thought about it after I was going to bed. I'm like, of course... It's exciting if you don't have 55 years and the last 10 or 15 years of seeing the same thing. But but I, I would tell you again, as a there's no more casual observer than me, but I, it was a it was a great start. It was a fun game to watch. And I went to bed. Uh, it was five nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a Leaf fan, as I've said, but I would tell you I had a very Leaf experience this morning. The oh. first thing I'll tell you what it was. You'll love okay. this. So I go to bed. It's five nothing. Very, very excited. I really enjoyed every minute. I didn't change. I, I watched it all. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I was like, did they did they win? <laughs> like, <laughs> I did. I thought it's yeah. the part of me was like, I hope they won because I went to bed. It was five nothing. Mm-hmm. But I thought, isn't that a that's a that's a real leaf moment there. I was a mm-hmm. little bit not 100 percent sure that they still won. You know, Howard, they call this the hardest trophy to win in pro sports, right? The Stanley Cup. And I could see why, because it's grueling, it's physical. You could see what happened. You know, winning game four is a very, very difficult thing. I mean, it is in basketball and baseball, too, but the physicality of mm-hmm. hockey and... um. There's a long way to go to win game four. And, you know, and again, super last night, everybody's excited, and I totally get it, and I've seen the replays, and Marner's goal was sensational. And Matthew's uh, first goal was just yeah, fucking unbelievable. His second goal was kind of a cheap one, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, their penalty penalty killing was second to none. It Unbelievable. Was, like, amazing. Like, I, I saw the uh, some of the replays of that five-minute... Uh, major you know, yeah. penalty they had for yeah. five minutes and they carried the play. Freddie, then they not only carried it, they, they were playing. It was, it was the thing that turned them on. It really was. It was like they were kind of anemic coming out. It was three or four minutes. It was kind of like it was a bit slow. And then, like, is the guy's name Clifford? Yeah, Kyle Clifford. It was yeah. a shitty, it was a cheap shot. I mean, he, oh, yeah. It, uh, he'll be suspended today, I'm sure. Uh, you, th- I mean, they explained it. He, he made one hit and the crowd got into it, and then he thought, oh, just right. to do it, another quick hit. And he just mm-hmm. boarded the shit out of the guy. And it was a, yeah, it was a, ba- it was, but I could sort of see he got caught up in the emotion of it. Right. But it turned the team on, and that five minute kill was amazing. Like, they had a couple of two on ones, a three on one, and it just seemed right. to energize them. And it was exciting, you know? Mm hmm. Uh yeah, uh you could be, no absolutely five nothing. Are you kidding me? I predicted that they'd have a tough time scoring ten goals in the series. I mean that's gone. I mean that prediction's pretty much in the shitter. I would think now, but there's and, still more games to play. And what's his name, the Campbell guy? He didn't have much to do really in the first couple of periods. They were really good on defense. They blocked a lot of shots when they had the penalty against them. They were really good, conservative, and played the position well. But he made a couple of. You know, good saves late that could have turned some momentum. 
here's the thing with Vasilevsky. He didn't look good at times. With Tim, no, no. But here's the thing, Howard. Say the Leafs are up three games to two. And now it's game six, and the Leafs can wrap it up. That's when you're going to see goaltending. Mm-hmm. You're going to see who you have between the pipes. And they have the best in the business, and the, the jury's still out on Jack Campbell. So as I say, it's very difficult for me. Yeah, one game. Yeah, you know, I've seen the Leafs play a lot of neat games this mm-hmm. year. That's why I say for one game and, uh, you know, super, they want it 5 nothing. But again, as a long, hardened um, abused leaf fan. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I just, you know, it's okay. Let's see. Well, okay. here's what I wrote. Somebody who, somebody who, uh, I won't, doesn't matter who it was, says, uh, I, he started off by, holy fuck, Fred was rough on the leaf today. This is in the morning. Guy needs to slow down. I hope he's eating crow next week. And I go, ha ha. FYI, he's not watching tonight. And then he comes back. Good. Serves him right, opting to watch a meaningless baseball game in May. He's missing a good one. Leafs are completely dominating. And here's what I wrote back. I said, slow down. He suffered enough to miss the first game. Okay. If anyone has suffered, I said, sure, it's a dandy. uh, But if anyone has suffered enough to miss game one, it's the Fred man. Well, dude... Didn't you tell me you don't necessarily watch the first round of the Masters, do you? Well, no. Here's the thing. I would watch every second of the Masters, but I won't watch the first round of the, you know, Wells Fargo whatever. I don't watch it till Sunday afternoon. I mean, unless, you know, when Tiger was playing, I would watch. But no, yeah, I definitely don't watch golf until the last three or four hours when somebody's going to win. And again, I hate to sound like, you know, Dennis Downer and everything, but again, we've been here before. You know how many good starts in the playoffs I've seen yeah. over the years? Like, oh, wow. Like up three games to one, three games to two, go into a game seven and think you have a chance only to see them crap out. There's just so much between now and then that, okay, you know, like, show me. That's all. Yeah, show I get me. it. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is now that I've watched the first game, uh, I think the next game is Thursday, right? They play every other game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel might be here. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, eh, if he's here, maybe I'll just have it on so I can keep an eye on it. But well, I, the next I, game's I, Wednesday. Oh, sorry. Oh, tomorrow. Wednesday. Yeah, right, right. It's tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Then I will watch it. Because I, I was, th- I, it just gave me some, I felt like this. It gave me something to do that wasn't Netflix. That wasn't right. trying to find a show. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, if that game had been on a week ago, I never would have bothered or I wouldn't give a mm-hmm. shit. But as I've told you a million times, I know it counts now. Mm-hmm. So I like to see how it, what it looks like when it really counts. And I'll tell you another thing they commented on, and I don't have the perspective that you would have, is but they made a mention of how much more energized the crowd was than a normal Leafs crowd, potentially because this is the first time there's been a playoff game with people since before the pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one last thing. You can, I don't know if you were at the ACC, or not the ACC, for you, the Scotia, watching it outside or inside, the pandemic is over in Leafland. Right. There was just, say, 20,000 people, you know, scrunched together. How is that not a super spreader event? I don't know. And all the kids out front in the... Yeah. Well, I, but I don't have a problem with that because they haven't, you haven't been asked to wear masks. Again, we talked about transit yesterday. There's signs saying, you know, masks still required on the go on go transit and and on the TTC, I would imagine, or masks required. Mm-hmm. And people that don't wear them, that bugs me. But walking into the dome or 
the Scotiabank Arena or those kids out front, they're not required, so they're not wearing them. And just, uh, you know, it's just where we're at. People have had enough of it. Speaking of uh, just a couple quick observations, again, I, I know this is all old hat to you, but first of all, Kyle Dubas looks like he's 11. No, I know. Like, and so, and, and so do those. My, another thing, I think it's just because I am getting older because I was watching those hockey players last night. Marner looks like maybe he just got his license. He's just a no, baby face. Mm-hmm. Even Matthews, who, you know, is trying to look older with his beard and shit. He looks right. like a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, another thing I noticed too, like he's sp- t- speaking of masks, like I'm surprised that they still just wear those quarter visors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all got the the little mouth guards, the internal ones. Mm-hmm. I I had one as a kid, but Which they're chewing on they're chewing on them half the time. But I remember that I ha- I remember getting fitted for one. I thought it was a big deal because I I remember graduating from a, a, a league where you had to we didn't have full masks, but we had visors mm-hmm. to where you could just wear the thing. But I even at the speed that game is played, and as aggressive and rough as those guys are, I'm still surprised just that they all this is a little quarter visor, their whole face is exposed. And they wouldn't wear those if they didn't have to. You know, they wouldn't. Most of them would probably take those off. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, one other point, you know, um, remember that last year when the Maple Leafs were playing the Montreal Canadiens? I forget what service was it. Was it I forget. No, Prime, uh, Netflix, whatever. They followed the Leafs around. And it became one of those documentaries where they follow the team and they expect like 30 the for 30 type of thing yeah okay. and they expected the Leafs to go far into the playoffs and then of course the the thing the documentary turned into you know disappointment oh this is how a team is disappointed <laughs> right um <laughs> sorry well me and my buddy Darren he keeps telling me it's well done I should watch it I can't bring myself to watch it and he gets mad at he gets downright mad at me look how can you not watch that like it's just good TV it shows behind the scenes I don't have the stomach I don't have the mindset mm-hmm. to watch that I don't it's bad enough they lost to Montreal, like in real time, a real game. Now I'm going to sit down and watch a documentary about it. I just can't. Can't do it. Still haven't. Still won't. And uh, that's sort of where I'm at with that. And, and apparently it is. It's, you know, it was well done. And, and you know who really loved it? Leaf haters think, that, think it's the greatest production ever. I'm sure, I'm sure they do. <laughs> you know, another thing, again, I know this is old hat to you people, and I, I, I'm not, and don't. I'm not, look, I'm not looking at any comments yet, but I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. I am not. I just found it. I like, I, I, again, I don't know how many times I have to say it. I love sports when it starts to matter. So if the Leafs are going to play, and I, I like to watch it. So what I'm about to say, I'm sure everyone has observed, but it was my first time seeing it last night, which is players on the bench after a play looking at the play on an iPad. I found yes. that fascinating. Yes. I know it's old hat, but it was the first time I'd seen it. And I went, you know, it's interesting. It seems, again, I'm old fashioned. So I, I don't know how I felt about it. Like, it seems a bit weird. Well, baseball, it's, listen, in baseball, you strike out, you go back to the dugout, you sit down, you watch your ab, your at bat almost immediately. Wow. Like, it's it's intense with baseball now. And I, and I get where you're coming from. It's almost like, geez, 
Is that too much? Too much technology? A little bit, kind of. A, game. It, yeah. Like when I first found out that quarterbacks. I know again, this is old, but I first found out that some quarterbacks were getting the plays called into their ear pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm not because I don't love technology. I just thought, is that in the spirit of the game? But I get why their coaches, like, you know, oftentimes you'll see a quarterback after a series of play uh, get on the phone with the offensive coordinator who's watching it and is giving him some, some feedback. Mm-hmm. I get that. It just was I'd never seen it before. So I thought, oh, that's, that, I guess that's what mm-hmm. they do now. That word you use, bandwagon, you know, I've maintained for as long as I've known you, when it comes to sports, there's nothing wrong with bandwagon jumping because it's only sports. Jump on the bandwagon. Jump off the bandwagon. Do yeah. whatever you want because it's only sports. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So if you're mad at a team and they start playing well and you jump on the bandwagon, fine. Yeah, it makes you feel good. It's what you want to do. It's there's like <laughs> yeah. pro sports teams owe you nothing. You owe them nothing. No, really, at the end of the day, you know. And, and if the Bills had gone, you know, go gone further in the playoffs and then to the Super Bowl, I would have gone. I would have been part of the Bills mm-hmm. mafia. Because mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. Um, back to technology quickly, though. When they do this thing on tour, again, the players aren't really, it's not controlled by the players, but on, at the bigger tournaments, they have video uh, around some of the greens. And so a player can look up and actually see how far their putt is. Like it'll say, uh, you know, they have a shot GPS, a shot tracker, whatever. But it's not like they're adjudicating their own swings while the play is going on. But I, I mean, again, it makes sense for baseball and hockey and football and things like that. But it's just it's kind of interesting to see that. Well, I even have high struggle a bit with the instant replay in sports. The NHL wasn't so bad this year. But, you know, when it gets to the point, every goal that's scored that's sort of close. And when I mean close, like, you know, some activity in front of the net, goaltender interference and all that bullshit. How often, if you're watching a game, the game is stopped and interrupted while they go to, you know, they go to the video um, master control in Toronto to see if there was goaltender interference. Mm-hmm. It can really, well, it take, you know, it can really take the momentum out of a game. It just can because, you know, a crowd cheers. Everybody is excited. A goal was just scored. And then, oh, what? Video replay, which never used to exist. It was no, exactly. called on the spot yep. by the referee and you moved on. Now everybody's got to sort of hold their breath and <laughs> wait for a minute or two while they're, you know, they're conferring with the video people. And then they come back and take the goal away. So all that cheering was for naught. Here's a stupid and, question. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, and I was just saying, and a lot of people say, well, at least they get it right. Sure. You know, and it, it's creeped into baseball, too, like close plays at first base. The stuff that used to just be umpire calls and the game went along, and now it's we're stopping all the time now to see if the runner was safe at first. Yes, they're getting it right, but it gets back to what you say. I'm just a little uncomfortable it's with It's not quite in the at. spirit of the game. Yes. You know, like, but I was going to say, here's a stupid question. Do they still have goal judges at hockey games? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think so. I, well, because, no. you know, it's funny because it always seemed to me like, you know, when I played locally, you know, there was always like somebody's mm-hmm. dad or yeah. uncle was behind there smoking butts and drinking his Timmy's, you know. And I just thought, you know, at the NHL level, they must have done away with that at some point. You know, we're not going to rely on some dumpy old guy to, to see if it's no. good or not. Did it cross the line? That. Even in the NHL. Yeah. 
years ago when they had the gold judges, right? If there was a question, the referee would go back to the yeah. gold judge. What did you see? <laughs> you know, and really from that perspective, what could you see? But now there's cameras like directly. Well, you know, above yeah, yeah. the net, in the net. You don't need a gold judge. Here's a stat as we wrap this up. And uh, I appreciate you having this conversation with me because I enjoyed it. Like for what it was and for what interest I have for your team. You know, I'm a radio guy. I'm an old radio guy. So every market you go to, you sort of adopt that team as your own because that's what radio people do. It took me a long time to say out loud, I can't stand the team because I grew up hating it. But I do like the team, obviously. I've been here half my life. But you're going to... You're going to hate this stat. In the NHL, teams that win game one go on to win the series just about 70% of the time. (laughs) I saw that last night and I wrote it down. I thought, I can't wait to tell Freddie that because that's just going to make it excruciating when they... Okay, can you do... Do a little more investigation and see how that applies to the, to the Leafs yeah. over the years. <laughs> no, seriously. I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. As soon as that flashed on the screen, I quickly stopped and wrote it down. I went, oh, Fred's going to hate that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what Freddie loves. It's this group of fine folks. Well, it's not a group. It's a man. Aww. His name is Tim Niblett. He's the retirement Sherpa. Tim is a portfolio man- manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. And uh, again, we've told you about Tim and uh, what a wonderful man he is and how his demeanor, he's just very calm and he's very calculated. He's the type of guy that you want in control of your retirement fund, your future, uh, so to speak. Uh, he's licensed on both sides of the border. If you have a portfolio, you want somebody to have a second look at it, Tim is your guy, no strings attached, he'll give you the straight goods and... He'll even look you in the eye and say, hey, stick with the person you're uh, you're with because you're on the right track. However, if there's problems, listen, he's your go-to man. He's the retirement Sherpa, Tim Niblett, retirementsherpa.ca. Um, there's a fella, I, I always ask about him, and you always say, oh, he's from Buffalo. Is it Mike McCoolf? Yeah, yes. Nice. Is he the one who calls, I'm sorry, Mike, is, it, is that the guy who calls himself Buffalo Boy? Yes. What a good yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, Mike sent us a note. I'm just uh, trying to open up. Uh, here we go. This is what I love about Mike and a lot of the Humble and Fred people. He sent me two messages. One was some, you know, audio of that tit Tucker Carlson spouting some more nonsense. But part of the other note was, hey, Humble, what's the health gauge promo code? I'm going to get one and I want to make sure they know we listen to Humble and Fred here in Western New York. Well, that says it all. That's Humble and Fred. Uh, love. That's a love exchange, Fred. That's where, uh, you know, uh, we love the listener and the listener loves us. And uh, we show that by uh, supporting uh, our fine sponsors like HealthCage. Mm-hmm. Whether you're uh, looking to check out your calories or your steps. Yeah, it does that like a lot of other watches. But it also monitors your blood pressure, your pulse wave, your blood ox, and so much more. It really, especially as you get older, man, you want to keep track of these stuff, uh, this stuff in real time. And now you can. Uh, I'll answer Mike's question uh, the same way I texted him. It's HumbleFredHG. That's the promo code. HumbleFredHG for 15% off at checkout. HealthGage.com. Check that out. It's the HealthGage Phoenix that Freddie and I and so many Humble and Fred people are wearing. You might as well be walking on the sun. 
uh, just quickly before we get to Scott, actually, here comes Scott. Uh, I don't want to start a new. I hope we can get. To, I don't know how much time we're going to have after Scott, but I got some great audio of that idiot Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, I, I got the audio a couple days ago, but now after uh, you may have heard that the Supreme Court uh, document was leaked that they're going to they're they're thinking about overturning Roe versus Wade. <laughs> and uh, the re- I'm not laughing at that. I'm just laughing at when you hear the audio from Marjorie Taylor Greene, who right. she blames, by the way. The right. audio is her telling us who to blame for women wanting abortions. Very interesting. Oh, well, I, I can't wait because yeah. she, she's so intelligent. Um, we, uh, we talked earlier in the show that uh, we're excited to have uh, this gentleman on our show as a guest. Uh, of course, you know him. Scott, are you uh, able to uh, turn your, uh, your microphone and I, your, your camera on, if you, if you wouldn't mind? Uh, that's a good question. I'm assuming that this isn't your first, uh, you've probably, like us, been on Zoom a bunch. Uh, is there any way, do you not have a camera? You don't have to have a camera, it's not important, you know. I don't know why the picture didn't appear. Um, I don't know, bottom left corner, it's a picture of a, it says stop video, if you're looking at the Zoom interface there. Mm-hmm. You just click on that. Yeah, it's in the lower left corner of the uh it says mute and then a little thing and then video there we there go we there go. we go hey we scott have the technology you do and uh yeah I scott put away my typewriter so it's that's okay <laughs> um this is uh everyone knows scott morrison uh, i could go into a big flowery introduction but i think it'd be better for you if we just promote this book because we have so much to talk about the uh, book is called the year that changed hockey forever and scott's uh kind of like yesterday fred a little bit low on that so we'll just go back and forth mm-hmm. right on you know, Scott, you, you've been covering hockey for a long time, and I, I was reading in the foreword of your book today, uh, Phil Esposito uh, uh, talking about how the, what the series meant to him and, and how the series developed, etc. But just put us back in that time for people who weren't alive, like the three of us. Where, what was Canada, how, how did we feel about ourselves as a hockey nation back in 1972? Well, I was alive and I saw the series, so uh, and I was able to skip school for the last three games and uh, and uh, and watch from home. But uh, yeah, I'm, in the book, I say that the world was a different place, and then all of a sudden, the things that have happened in the last month or two with the, the Soviet, with Russia and Ukraine, kind of makes you think that maybe things haven't changed as much as as we would have liked. And uh, but the world was different back then, in that. Uh, you know, we were frustrated as a hockey nation because our best players were playing in the National Hockey League. The WHA was on the horizon, but we kept sending amateur teams over to play internationally and they couldn't win, dating back till the 50s when, with the last time when we would win a, a world championship or an Olympics. And, and so there was this feeling that it was time for us to send our best over and proved to the world that we were the ultimate hockey nation. And at the time, the, the Soviets, the Russians were dominating international hockey. And it really was time for them as well to uh, move to another level 
to see where exactly they stood on the bigger stage. And so what made this series so special on many levels, one, it was the first time our best played their best. And the politics of the world at the time, as the series evolved and it got much more intense than it was supposed to be from our standpoint in the beginning, is it was, you know, this was about capitalism versus communism, our way of life versus their way of life. And in many ways, they were a mystery to us because nobody traveled to the Soviet Union back in those days or Eastern Europe. And they were just a scary image that appeared in black and white on the, on the network news at night. We didn't know what they were all about. And there, there was a Cold War politically going on at the time. So the dynamic was, was really, really different. And all of that came into play as this series evolved. Yeah, and the negotiations to put the series together. I mean, there's, I mean, you could write a book on that. It was odd from the standpoint where also it was an eight game series because if you want to declare a winner, we were so used to, right? Seven game series, five game series where you would have the deciding game. And it was just interesting launching into it from the beginning the fact that it was an eight game series and it could end up in a tie, which it almost did. But negotiating with the Soviets from that standpoint apparently was crazy for Alan Eagleson and the powers that be as well. Well, and it was 50 years ago last week that they ultimately got the agreement done to have the series. And I think it was eight games because they wanted to spread the wealth and it was going to be a fun exhibition series. Mm -hmm. This was a lark (laughs) from a Canadian perspective. And all their players, you know, the scouting reports were... They were going to walk over this team, and it was going to be a lark. It was an all-star festival um, and all the rest of it. And so what was interesting is when it got down to game eight, and to your point, Fred, that it could have been a tie, all of a sudden the Soviets declared, guess what? We're going to win it on goal differential, which had never been negotiated. (laughs) So it's just making it up as they go along. Exactly. It was drama to the bitter end. Now, a couple things just quickly. Um, one, you said, like, I'm reading Esposito's forward. I was reminded that it not only did they think it was going to be like a little bit of a fun, little silly exhibition, but I think most of us in the country, and I was really into hockey at the time, I, we just thought it was kind of something, you know, a bit of a novelty act. But the second point is you said it was going to, one of the things that pissed off uh, Esposito is, as you know, it's like it wasn't the best Canadians because those WHA guys like Cheevers, Bobby Hull, they weren't on the team. And it sort of irked him that if it was going to be team Canada, then it should include all the best Canadians. Yeah. The way he put it is they should call it team NHL because, you know, the WHA was on the horizon and, you know, Derek Sanderson, JC Trombley, uh, Howard, as you mentioned, uh, Cheevers and, and Bobby Hull had already signed their contracts and, uh, the way it was determined. And remember, Alan Eagleson, who was the, the guy who really brought this together, there was many involved, but uh, he was the one that brought the NHLers to the table, was the head of the NHL Players Association. So there was a lot of conflicts behind the scene, and that's why the WHA was excluded. And the rule that they put in was on the eve of training camp uh, in August, if you have not signed an NHL contract, you are not allowed to play for Team Canada. Hmm. Yeah, that was huge at the time. Hard the other guy who was missing, too, was Bob Yor. That's right. right. One of the famous Neo. He's the, 
Yeah. Well, Boston had won the Stanley Cup that spring. He was the most valuable player, but another knee injury, and uh, sadly he couldn't get back. Although he stuck with the team from start to finish, traveled with them to Russia. So many of those players say that meant a lot to them to have that guy standing in the wings. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you know what? It's, it just reminded me. It's like when Tiger uh, went to uh, one of the uh, cups, Ryder Cup or President's Cup, when he wasn't playing, just having that presence mm-hmm. there. But you think about those players missing from that team. And as Esposito said, given uh, if we'd known how intense it was going to be, if we'd had a real training camp and all those players, it may not have been a contest. Well, the one thing you have to keep in mind, too, and, and absolutely I agree. I mean, those players would have really enhanced that roster the attitude was the biggest thing because they were everybody was convinced that as i said this was going to be a lark it was going to be a a rollover they're going to win eight games and they're going to win each one handily Uh, but back in those days i i kind of chuckle a little bit because and some of the players mentioned it in the book is that back in those days training camps were really long and really hard and a lot of exhibition games because nobody trained in the summer (laughs) that's right You didn't have summer ice. You didn't have trainers. You didn't have any of that. A lot of these guys had summer jobs, for God's sakes, uh, or worked on the family farm and had their hockey schools and did all that. So conditioning was – and some of the guys who were – you know, the late Billy Harris who had coached – played for the Leafs and coached internationally, he was one of the ones who predicted. He said, a factor in this series, he said, it may not tilt it to the Russians' favor – but conditioning will be a factor because they will be in shape mm-hmm. and our guys are going to have to work their way to get in. Well, that's the way it was, right? You used to yeah. show up to training camp to get in shape. Right. Absolutely. And, and the way things have evolved now, you better stay in shape or you better be in shape when you arrive at training camp. And again, I, I, that was the, the reason for that 7-3. What was it? 7-3 in game one? Yeah, yeah, they just, our guys were just exhausted. The third period, they could they could hardly move. There was also a hockey culture issue at that time, too, where players nowadays, like you often see them joking before the game and after the game and baseball, like the hockey culture back then, these guys genuinely didn't like each other. And now they were being asked to all show up to play for the same team. And there was some deep-seated hatred there absolutely it was uh, players from uh you know handful of different teams the rangers the canadians bruins they all hated each other chicago yeah. toronto they all hated each other and it took a while for that team to come together and and that culture fred it, it lasted for years and i remember the 84 canada cup when uh, uh the canadians had their backs to the wall and they were losing to the soviets in the semi-final and it took Larry Robinson to stand up in the dressing room and look around because the Islanders hated the Oilers and the mm-hmm. Canadians hated the Oilers and everybody hated each other. And he said, you know what? We all hate each other, so we can agree on that. But we all love this crest right here, this maple leaf. Nice. Let's get it together. Mm-hmm. And there was a similar type of thing that happened in that series. They couldn't come together during those four games in Canada. It was abysmal. Uh, but it was the stopover in Sweden, as gruesome as some of those games were. Uh, but that's when they came together as a team because they finally realized, boys, our backs are against the wall. <laughs> we don't pull together as a team. We're going to be a national embarrassment. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Inside the book, uh, The Year That Changed Hockey Forever, 1972. 
for people who don't have their perspective, again, we're trying to set it up as it was just kind of this silly little game that was going to be played. And very quickly, almost immediately when they lost the first game, it became like a bit of a national slap in the face. So two questions. When, to, to give us some perspective, when did the country realize, oh shit, this is serious. And when did the players think, man, we better, we better do something or we're going to look like idiots? Well, I think the players realized midway through the first period that these guys are pretty good. And a few of them tell the story in the book that sitting on the bench about halfway through, even though they get up 2 nothing early in that game, they're saying, boys, this is going to be a tough series. Mm-hmm. They are better than advertised. Mm-hmm. And I think the country, obviously, at the end of that first game, losing 7-3, to three, they realized all of a sudden, yeah, uh, I think the initial reaction from Canadians over those first three or four games was our guys are letting us down. They're not playing up the par. They're being stiffs. They didn't come prepared. And then eventually, I think there was a realization, and maybe it was Phil Esposito's speech after that Vancouver game, the fourth game in the series, when they it wasn't a lopsided score, but it was a lopsided game where he told the country, he said, guess what? These guys, we're doing our best. We'll do better. But these guys are really, really good. And I think that's the point where maybe some of the country realized that, you know, yeah, these guys can play. It's not our well, guys failing. It's these guys showing up and doing really well. When that was such a compelling speech, although it was such a roller coaster in Canada, because game two, mm-hmm. uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, Team Canada wins it 4-1. I always remember remember the goal Peter Mahovlich scored. It was he just skated through the whole team. And it was all you know, the attitude changed then. It was like, okay, yeah, that first game we've learned enough. Now like we held them to one goal and we won game two. Now we're gonna re- win the rest of them. And then Winnipeg well, was a tie, which was actually a good thing because that allowed then maybe the game to be decided by wins and losses. And then Vancouver was the one where they sort of had the lead and then lost it. And then we uh, that's when Esposito had to say his thing. Yeah, I mean, then the, the Toronto game was a, a turning point from the standpoint that Harry Sinden was starting to realize at that point that, you know, they invited 35 players to be a part of this team. And in part because some guys didn't want to go, they had to try to make it make sure that they had enough bodies but uh he started to realize that uh, getting everybody into a game was going to be not the smartest thing he ever did as a coach because mm-hmm. uh, they had to come together as a group and start mm-hmm. to whittle that group down so that was the realization there and they also started to play i guess what we would call a canadian style of game a little more crashing and banging there was a lot of finesse or attempt at finesse in that first game and then it was we'll get a few heavier bodies in the in the lineup for game two and play a different style and it ultimately paid off and as you mentioned Fred Pete Mahovlich scored the shorthanded goal that uh, was just amazing and uh, but yeah I mean after they the the Vancouver game was just they were maybe five minutes in and the crowd turned on them already because it was like there was just such a a, a wave of disappointment at went across the country from that first game through the second, the third game in Winnipeg, they were up 4-2 they blew that, hang on for the tie as you mentioned, and it was just like you guys are letting us down And mm-hmm. as I say, it wasn't until after that, that there was finally the realization that um, 
you know, the other guys are pretty good too, and we better learn to deal with that. And the Canadians at that time was on their side. And the best thing that ever happened is they, they put a gap in that series. So they went to Sweden for a week and that was almost like a, another training camp right. for them. And they found their legs and they found the camaraderie and, you know, it was so bad in Vancouver that after that game, Esposito had his speech that everybody knows. Uh, but he and Cashman and a couple others went to a bar after the game, ended up getting in a fight because the Canadian fans were heckling them so much in the bar. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Well, you know, I, I was a little, being much younger than the two of you, <clears throat> I was 12 in 1972. And I don't remember, so I'm, I wasn't as, I mean, I remember the speech vaguely. I'm not, maybe not from that time but i've seen it before but i don't remember being as disappointed as i think we were all surprised i think as a nation it was such a shock to us that that surprise was sort of channeled in a a, some negative ways because we were just we didn't know what to think but let's just set up so we, we we leave canada and we go to russia after the sweden thing and as as significant as this series was for a lot of reasons as you say, it's changed hockey forever. But it was significant in that Paul Henderson emerged as this iconic figure. You can't it's the it's almost mythical that you can't talk about the series without talking about I want to make sure I get this right, three game winning goals in a row. Three and it should have been four because he they had a big lead in game five and Paul would have had ultimately the, the game winning goal in that game as well. So, yeah, he totally emerged. And that line of Henderson, Ellis, and Bobby Clark were the only line that stayed together from the first day of training camp in August until the end of that tournament. And they're three guys who got together on the first day. They went and had a beer. They were kind of the last additions to the roster in many ways. And they sat there and said, we all want to make it. Some of these guys aren't taking this seriously, but we want to play. We want to be a part of this. And they were determined from the first day uh, that they were going to be a part of it and probably brought a different level of commitment and uh, probably training going into that the training camp and exhibition time. Uh, and it, it proved out in the end, they were by far the best line. And the guy who really was the, the made it all tick for, and, uh, I mean, Henderson was the hero. He played great, scored an amazing goal in game seven where he beat the two defenders, you know, the one mm-hmm. on three almost, and beat Trechak. But Phil Esposito, the guy who didn't want to play yeah. in the beginning, who didn't want to leave his hockey school in Sault Ste. Marie and golf and beer, <laughs> That's right. his heart got into that series big time, and he was the guy that really – he almost, uh, you know, willed them to victory. And let's not forget Bobby Clark breaking, was it Harlamov's ankle? Yeah. Literally on purpose. Yep. And he admits it. Uh, John Ferguson, who the late John Ferguson, who was the yeah. assistant coach, was in game six. And he said between periods, this Harlamov guy is really hurting us. <laughs> you got to do something. Oh, wow. And he kind of left it dangling, dot, dot, dot. And Bobby Clark says, well, I know what that means. And uh, out he went and did it. But, you know, the one thing I would say in, in, in fairness to Bobby is that that wasn't entirely the dirtiest thing that happened in that series. There was no. a lot of stuff going yes. back and forth. It's very And trippy. as much as... The Canadians were portrayed as the villains. Uh, the Russians, the Soviets were 
they were a nasty bunch themselves. And I, I tell a story in the book that uh, Gary Bergman, one of the defensemen, uh, he got kicked in the shins by Mikhailov. Yeah. And afterwards, I think it was Ron Ellis was saying, he says, I watched him take his skate off. There was a hole in his shin guard because of the skate kicking him. Yeah. So I watched him take his, sk- his skate off, turn it upside down, and blood pouring out of the boot of his of his skate. Yeah. So there was a lot of unsavory stuff happening. And because, you know, the, they all say it, you don't like to diminish the meaning of the word, but uh, it became a war on ice. Yeah. And because it was, again, not just it was the pride of hockey, but it was the pride of country versus country. But, but also off ice, um, there was a lot of dirty tricks by the Russians once Team Canada arrived in Russia, in Moscow, like trying to keep them awake at night in their hotel rooms and some of those dirty tricks. Do you do you, do you mention those? Yeah, absolutely. They talked about, you know, the phones ringing in the middle of the night or in the <laughs> yeah, afternoon nice. and having a free game nights, the stereo system in the in the rooms turning on just willy nilly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the worst thing that they did was they stole their food. And having been to Russia myself, and I know what the meals were like back in the day, yeah. uh, stealing the food was a nasty thing. And the worst thing they did, well, it was funny because Brad Park said they stole our food. They made our wives unhappy. He says, when you make a Canadian hockey player's wife unhappy, you make the player unhappy. Yeah, no so kidding. <laughs> that kind of gave us added motivation. But, and he but, said the worst thing they did, they stole our beer. Hey, yeah. Scott, um, I've got just a couple more minutes left, of course. I, I mentioned Henderson, and and in this, this debate, like, this series meant so much. You can hear the, you know, the, even in this discussion, the passion, the memory, and how much it meant to uh, us as a culture. And and yet, Paul Henderson isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, I disagree with that. I think he should be in. Um the guy who let in the goal is in the Hall of Fame, and he was a great goalie. Yep. True Jack, no question about that. But, uh, I mean, the argument, it seems, coming back is that this was, you know, Hall of Fame isn't about one series. It's about a bigger body of work. But I think the yeah, But I would argue it is series. about that one series. Yeah. In, in, this, in this case, and you nailed it there. So the final three games, the guy who scores the goal isn't in the Hall of Fame. The guy who gave up the goals is in the Hall of Fame, and the guy who's in the Hall of Fame never played in the NHL, the guy who isn't did play in the NHL. Were you ever part of the Hall of Fame Selec- Selection Committee? No, I have not been. Oh, so you, I was going to say, did you? what were the inside arguments? Because none of it makes well, I've, sense. I've heard, I've heard that, Scott. I've, I've heard that argument before, that it's one game doesn't make a career, but mm-hmm. it, because of the significance of those games, you'd think... That's one of the most significant games or series in Canadian hockey history. It has to be. And yet, it's weird that he's not. It would be, uh, I'm trying to think of another analogy, but I I can't right now because I'm old. But you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of weird, too, because he had a a very good NHL career. It's not the NHL Hall of Fame, but he had a very good career. And then he had this fabulous 28 days. Yeah. you know, changed the game in so many different ways and uh, meant so much to this country and the game itself. And he's so gracious about it. But, uh, yeah, and it's almost like there's a stubbornness now that they won't backtrack or they won't revisit that. And it's too bad. 
It, it, it really is, because I think that's a, a major injustice. Here's a hockey memory for you two guys. Like, again, back in 19, I, Bobby Orr was my favorite player. Esposito and the Bruins were my favorite team, because I'm from Saskatchewan, and we don't love the Leafs. But uh, I remember how, do you guys remember how weird it was that Henderson was wearing a helmet? He was one of the first guys. Like, I always thought that was strange, right? Mm-hmm. Very few guys did. He did. And you brought up Gary Bergman, you know, and and because in those days, like he's balding and he looked about 50. <laughs> I just remember seeing pictures of how old I thought he was when I was 12. Um, but when you say the book, uh, the title is the, the, the Year That Changed Hockey Forever. What I wrote down is some of the ways it changed it in our country. And I wonder, you talk about how I remember going to ho- back to hockey after that series and it changed the way we trained. It changed the way fitness was. All of a sudden, there was cones on the ice. People were doing drills differently. <clears throat> is that part of the legacy of the Russians playing us in 1972? Yeah, absolutely. From our side of it, it, you know, the preparation, the off-ice training, all of that sort of thing, and even a lot of the, uh, you know, practice and drills and skill training and that type of thing. And and from their perspective, what they learned out of that series was they were a very robotic team, and they saw what emotion meant with the Canadians bringing that extra level and never quitting until that final buzzer. They said that was – you know, we could meet them, we could match them, uh, you know, Tarasov, the legendary coach, we could match them on so many levels, but that emotion they brought uh, and that unwillingness to to lose mm-hmm. uh, was a difference maker. And so they learned a lot from us. It was, it was a learning experience on both sides. And, you know, as much as, and Phil says it in the book, that what's really evolved from it, he said, you know, it was us versus them. And we hated them. They hated us. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts to come together and figure out that they they can play. We can play. They have good things. We have good things. And he says, now he says, you know, you've got it was us and them. Now you've got Russians. You got Swedes. You got Finns. You got Czechs. And everybody's the same because they just want to win the Stanley Cup or the World yeah. Championship. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, another pivotal thing was the Russians, and I forget which Russian said it off the top of my head, but they were treated like children. And the NHL players were treated like men, and they noticed that too. Like they were under the thumb. What was the name of the the coach? Uh, Tikhanov was it, or no. what was the name oh, of the coach of the Russians at the time? Uh, in seventy Yeah, Tikhanov came in eighty seven. Oh, okay. Period. Whoever it was, but they were treated like kids. Mm-hmm. Like they were totally under the thumb. Well, the NHL players were being treated like men, and. Uh, they noticed that too. I also remember reading about how their equipment wasn't very good. You know, they didn't have quite the level of uh, access to the stuff that we had. But it, it not only changed the way we played hockey and the culture of hockey in Canada, I think it changed, as you say, it changed the way Russia approached hockey. And then the last thing I would say, you know, it's funny, a lot of people wonder where that attitude, sort of the anti-European sentiment came from. It took a long time for that to go away in Canada. But it was born in, in that series. It was born of a almost sort of hanging on to hockey. We are the hockey nation and all, all these other countries. And we've come to see over the last 50 years that there's good hockey being played all over the world. And I think we as Canadians influence that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it 72 started the thinking that other people can play this game yeah. very, very well. And, uh, it, but it still took time because you think of the, you know, uh, 
you know, not long after that series when Aborea Salming came to the Maple Leafs and Hammerstrom and the, the chicken Swede mentality that existed. Yeah. It, it still took a while for us to embrace uh, that immigration of sorts into our hockey world, but uh, eventually it happened and it's been great for the game. But it's, one it's part like now you don't think of some players as being a Swede or a Russian or no. a Czech. They're just a player. Yeah. But remember they're a capital, part of they're a leaf, they're a flame, whatever. Right. Part of seventy two, we forget, is that when they stopped over in, in Sweden and played a couple of games, those games were ugly. Who was it? Was it JP Parisi who got speared in the mouth or something? Like those Wayne games. Cashman. Yeah. Wayne, no, Cashman. Wayne Cashman. Those games were really, really ugly too, which left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, which contributed to the, you know, the European us against them mentality. Yeah, for uh, and I think it existed to a certain degree with the amateurs that we would send over to the Worlds or the mm-hmm. Olympics that the Canadians were hooligans. Mm-hmm. And they went, when they got into, uh, you know, they started to enhance that image as the series went along in Canada and they got frustrated and played a more physical. But when they got to Sweden, they were already billed as being hooligans. And the Swedes were as dirty as them in those two exhibition games, but uh, it didn't help that the Canadian ambassador at the time uh, belittled the team and admonished them for being uh, right. boots and all the rest of it. So, But it was another thing that they said, just help pull them together and say, hey, the country hates us after Vancouver. Now everybody hates us after Sweden. Let's just go get the job done. Scott right Morrison, on. man, you got the job done coming in here, mm-hmm. you know, pitching a perfect game. That's what it felt like to me. 1972, the year that changed hockey forever. And uh, what a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, I'm assuming, are you a Leaf fan? No, I've never, when you've covered the game, you can't be a fan of anybody because yeah. you've just got to stay on the side. Sure. So well, you may- I, I cheer for good games and good cities. <laughs> it was a good game in a good city last night. You may have uh, checked it out. Listen. That was a heck of a performance by the Leafs. A very impressive start. Yeah, this, this Matthews kid's pretty good. Hey, Scott, thank you very much for this today. We really appreciate it. Great to see both of you guys, and thank you very much. All okay, right. thanks, Scott. Good to see you, buddy. There's the great Scott okay. Morrison, Morrison, author of 1972. All of a sudden, I'm Sylvester the Cat. Scott Morrison, uh, <laughs> the year that changed hockey forever. As you can tell, it is uh, something you're going to enjoy and uh, lots to talk about. Uh, we could we could do uh, we could the whole book. We could go through every game. But Scott, thanks very much. Just let yourself out. We're going to move on now to. Uh, our next segment. You know, I, it, there's so much. Esposito had to be asked three times. He said no. Esposito wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it was Bobby Orr, ironically enough, who was injured, as you said, who actually convinced Esposito to go to play for the team. Mm-hmm. Or he was going to, because he said, no, I don't want to be bothered with this. Well, it was one of those situations where really nothing to gain, everything to lose. Yes. But ultimately, they did gain because of what transpired during the series, and everybody's so captivated by it, to ultimately be the champions. A lot was gained from that. But going in, it w- how could you help and look at that and say, okay, that's fine, we're expected to win all eight games, so anything short of that, we're going to look like fools. Yeah, I, I, Why I, would you want any part of that? I remember like the tone of our of looking forward to watching the game was... Almost sort of like, oh, this will be cute. 
<laughs> it was a, it was anything but uh, I've got a you, we both have copies of the book I it's I started skimming through it. it's very interesting stuff and of course Scott Morrison you know who he was he was our gig sky guest of the day gig sky offering a 100% data plan you get a get all your it's all there FaceTime gig sky uh, I mean FaceTime WhatsApp Instagram gig sky's got you covered and right now, if you put in the promo code HF2022, I get you $5 off your first plan or visit gigsky.com for more information. And then we've been talking a little bit about the GigSky travel rewards. There's so much there. You can get 50% cash back on over 850,000 hotels. Reduce rates on rental cars and more. Gigsky.com gives you more information. Ready? Yeah, the Chamber Plan, Canada's number one uh, benefits uh, program for Canada's small businesses. Uh, Chambers Plan, uh, go to Chambers Plan, uh, go to Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan is what I am trying to say. Right. Which is at chamberplan.ca. Uh, get a free quote today. Uh, benefits, I'll tell you, prescriptions. Dental, travel insurance, teledoc system. They have an HR component now. Mental health, which is also very, very important through these uh, COVID times. A lot of people have suffered, and that has to be recognized. Well, recognized it is by the Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan. If you have a small business, you have thought about a plan, well, this is the answer. It really is, uh, you know, very affordable for small business. They've done a great job of holding the line on premiums over the past few years. Take the time today. Go to chamberplan.ca. Find out what it's all about. And again, the badge is right there. Get a free quote. Now, here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential anchor man. His voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchor man, comes as for credentials he has none. Can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchor man's here. He's prone to falling off his chair, but he's got a big wang, so he don't care, and his voice is nice and low. My voice is nice and low. Dan Duran's news in 30 seconds. Cursing during your commute again. Do you find yourself living at work instead of working from home? Couldn't this have been an email? When it feels like all that's left is work hard, you know it's time to play. It's easy to find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Play free casino games, get poker tips, and check out the latest sports odds. Visit Bodog.net today. Hashtag make a play. And now, live from his summer home, trailer side, lake side, in a trailer, trailer man, <laughs> trailer boy, trailer dad, it's canoe lake front trailer times, here's Doc, Doc man, <laughs> let's just start random <laughs> Fucking Word fire, yeah, with, fire pit, <laughs> hot tub fire pit time, <laughs> lake looking sunsets, loon. <laughs> <laughs> now here's Dan Duran. On a day that endorsements by Trump got trumped by comments that Russia will declare war on May 9th that got overshadowed by the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court debacle. 
We here at Dandran Anchorman News are focusing on this year's Rattlesnake Roundup in Freer, Texas. Yay! Yes, they have a rattlesnake den. Yes, they eat rattlesnake. And yes, this year a rattlesnake handler died from handling a rattlesnake that bit him. Oh, really? Really, Eugene de Leon Seigneur was uh, bitten on the shoulder during the uh, Rattlesnake Roundup event. Then mm. uh, he then was flown to a Corpus Christi hospital where he died. Organizers say de Leon died doing what he loved. <laughs> with rattlesnakes. He yeah, loved, he so loved rattlesnakes that he went out. Having been bitten by one. This is the first one after the whole COVID thing, so it was supposed to be back to its normal glory of celebrating the rattlesnake. Because yeah. I guess they have a lot of them there. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. You know, these people that dabble, you know, the crocodile guy, you know, oh, yeah. eaten and, uh, you know, other stuff. People <laughs> that uh, screw around with these crazy animals. Mm-hmm. And I can't the remember. Lion guy, the lion guy, lion guy. Lion well, though, but the crocodile. There's, there's a stand-up I, I heard recently. I had a great the prem, the bit was like he heard that the crocodile hunter died after being bitten by a crocodile. It was like the least surprising thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, he got it bit by a crocodile. Really? Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, one last thing about the Leaf game last night. Uh, the opening montagey thing was a. Uh, some Springsteen song, and okay. I and it was a kind of a cool little opening. Rod McLean was excellent as always, and it made me remember that I had picked out something for you guys that I'd come across on the weekend. This is Bruce Springsteen from a concert in us in Australia a few years ago, and uh, just goes to show you that some people that are can make any song like their own. Have a listen, just a quick little listen to this. I, I meant to play this for both you guys yesterday, but have a quick listen. See if you can recognize the song. Any clue yet? He's going to start singing something in a second. Any idea yet? Sting, maybe? Nope. Close. Or not close, but listen. Fair try. so good huh anyway if you want to hear the whole version just go even google if I, even if i had thought that was staying alive i may not have said it because it would have been so ridiculous that's what i thought and I, and that's why when I, I came across it somewhere on the weekend i said i gotta play this for the guys because yeah springsteen's version of it and it's, it's a good song i mean it's a big song 
But this is a cool version of it. And just so cool to see him start off with his guitar and then the whole band's now. Is there anything cooler than being Bruce Springsteen? Well, I'll tell you there is. Dan Duran's pretty cool. Have you got a second story for us, Daniel? I do. It's Jews in the news. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right. And now with a Jew update, here's Dan Duran. So as we know, the Russians are saving Ukraine from Nazis. Oh, yeah. On Sunday, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said Hitler was part Jewish. Now, there's no evidence of that. Uh, And so now Israel is I thought I was a bad Jew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are. (laughs) But uh, so anyway, Israel is asking for an apology, as you would expect. Mr. Lavrov made the assertion on Italian television on Sunday when he was asked why Russia said it needed to denazify Ukraine if the country's own president was himself Jewish. And uh, he said in uh, Russian translated to Italian, say when they say, what sort of Nazification is this if we are Jews? Well, I think that Hitler also had Jewish origins, so it means nothing. For a long time now, we've been hearing the wise Jewish people say that the biggest anti-Semites are the Jews themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's they call it uh, <laughs> being a uh, self-hating uh, Jew. And as I said to one of my ex-wife's friends once, I'm not, I'm, she called me a self-hating Jew. I said, no, no, I'm a Jew-hating Jew. I'm fine with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those were raw, uh, not true. Uh, all anyway, right. I, yes. I did allude earlier that uh, there's now a theory or uh, the pundits are saying that coming up on May 9th, it's Victory Day in mm-hmm. Russia that celebrates the Allied victory over the Nazis. Well, there's a suggestion that Putin may declare war on Ukraine on that day because he can't actually claim victory. So uh, that would also allow Putin to activate more troops to go and die in the pointless war. So there you go. Yeah, I heard that. 1945, May 9th, that was when the uh, Russians uh, were victorious over the real Nazis. Uh, Kyle Kirby's here, everyone. Uh, intern uh, Tuesday, uh, intern, we already mentioned Kyle's excellent work. Uh, Kyle, how is, uh, how's your week been? And thanks for all the content you're sending us. Well done, young man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my week's been pretty good. It's been uh, pretty busy. I actually had a birthday th- this past weekend, so uh, it's going pretty well. What birthday was it? 25th. Wow. 25, eh, guys? Remember that? That's a yeah. long time ago. Vaguely. I was still Vaguely. getting well, I, I was still getting like rando boners at 25, you know, just like, oh, yeah. what the hell's going on? What kind of crazy stuff did you do? Oh, you know, how to drink or two with my buddies, ate some burgers. That's pretty much it. That's a good birthday. Burgers and beer, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Pretty standard. Do you yeah. are you uh, a Leaf fan, Kyle Kirby? No, as you might see my sense hat over there. Oh, there uh, you Ottawa go. Senators okay. Fan. Yeah. Oh, well, well, how's how's that going? For you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably a little better than being a Leafs fan still. Really? Okay. That's good. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, I love that attitude. Yeah. I mean, this, Maybe have I this, should have that attitude. <laughs> have, this, have the Senators gone past the first round this century? I don't know. I think they have, I actually. I don't know. It's been, I think, since I was a child. Well, listen, man, you love who you love. Uh, and we like uh, very much what I played a little bit of the stuff you've done. Uh, let's uh, start again. So uh, I guess I, I started the show, actually, with your freedom thing. But I, I want to just play the other thing that Kyle sent us, which is a remix of his intern song. This is actually his introduction. Kyle Kirby. Kyle. Kyle Kirby. Kyle. Kyle Kirby. Who needs a coffee? Because I'm doing a run. I'm riding down the orders now for everyone. 
The coffee is free, just like me. I'm an unpaid intern. Ugh, that's me. You work all day, go back to your dorm, and since you can't afford a mortgage, you just tore in a porn because you're what? an intern. Unpaid. Wait, I'm not getting paid for this? <laughs> See that part at the end? That just makes it funny. No, it's, uh, it's excellent. It excellent is excellent work, young man. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Did you get my note about the song or the freedom thing? I did, yeah, just to loop that uh, just loop part it, just, back at the end. And, and for the same reason, just you sort of bring it back, and it kind of puts a fine point on it. But uh, for you people that maybe skipped the uh, beginning of the show... If you want to compare Canada uh, to anything, it's like uh, Hitler's Germany, and we're like the Jews, eh? (laughs) So then it loops back in just like that. Oh, man. Yeah. Great great job again, Kyle. Great job. Yeah, really well done. You know, it actually wasn't that hard finding those audio clips. Oh, Oh, no, no, I know. We don't imagine it would be. (laughs) I I was saying to Freddie, uh, I've heard that guy who uh, said that about, we're just like the Mm -hmm. Jews. And I'm like, that clip is going to follow that dude. You know, if I, (laughs) it's like the guy I'm seeing his daughter's wedding. Let me just take you back to 2022. Mm hmm. When this happened, uh, Kyle, for next week, uh, more of the same, my friend. Love the promos. Love all the stuff you're doing. Dan, do you have any feedback for Tuesday intern Kyle Kirby? Uh, no, I think your feedback was excellent. So, well, I well thank you. That's all I want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's maybe good. a little uh, some more of that freedom stuff. It's funny. It's fascinating to listen to. Uh, it really is. And, you know, and underscores and highlights the dunderheads that, you know, inhabit this country as well as the United States. Maybe that's what we'll get Kyle to do. Like, you know how Dan presents us stories every day? Maybe your assignment, again, I love the promo stuff you're doing. And whenever, again, I know you're trying to, we need to get you your hours up. We need you to clock a bunch of hours. So that stuff is good hours. But maybe next Tuesday, you can bring us some audio, kind of like, you know, on The Daily Show, when one of the correspondents shows up and he has a story with accompanying audio like you could have presented hey guys you may remember the freedom rally uh this guy is currently uh, in on trial or whatever you know and then you play the clip and that's a nice little thing for you to do yeah that'd be awesome sounds good to me way to go man these idiots you're all over it you're all over it speaking of which i see you know every so often i see these tweets um uh theron flurry recently totally totally denying and discounting climate change what hmm. a fucking asshole that guy's <laughs> turned seriously it, like it's unbelievable how sad, sad sad here today we're talking about great hockey players and he's just pissing all over his own legacy it's unbelievable and another guy we know mm, uh retweeting josh Hawley. oh come on that. oh he's, absolutely it's so yeah. fucking so annoying josh yeah. Hawley. Our buddy that uh, runs the uh, junkyard. Oh, uh, yeah. He's. Uh, Come he's on. Ret- he's retweeting uh, uh, Josh Ollie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is Josh Singh? <sighs> oh, who know? I don't. He, does it matter? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's the same nonsense. Um, I promised you I would play you some audio here. Uh, and I, again, I got, I got to wrap it up in a second, but, I, but we can talk about the, the idea that the Supreme Court 
in the states is has written um a uh proposal i don't know what i don't know the legal thing is called uh where they're going to strike down it's a draft a draft of a draft of the decision a draft striking down roe v wade and if you don't think that it's all religion-based well listen to marjorie taylor fuckhead it's whispered softly and gently into your ears and into your soul and he tells you it's okay and he says it's just just this one thing you're just going to get it done get it over with and then he tells you a promise he promises you all these dreams that that you have in your heart by the way if you're wondering who she's talking about here it comes and that's how Satan sells. Fucking Satan. <laughs> Wait a minute. Not a cartoon. He might, she, she might as well say Sponge fucking Bob. Satan. And that's how Satan sells a sin. And that's how he sells abortion. He tells a woman. So Satan is selling abortion to Christian followers. Amen. That all you have to do is you're just going to go to this clinic. Just going to get it over with. You know. So that's an actual elected official in the United States of America. No, I know. Who is actually welcomed on news shows for her opinion. Yeah. Well, you know which one. But all these anti-abortionists, like especially these uh, religious whack jobs, they should, will they agree that if abortion is abolished, not to treat black kids like shit once they're born? How about that? (laughs) That's right. How Mm -hmm. about you make a promise to take care of all the children? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the very famous uh, now passed away uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, I've always been a fan. I have all, I have a rookie card. She has a nice rookie card. Right. She said, the emphasis must not be on the right to abortion, but on the right to privacy and reproductive control. And again, if you don't think that the whole movement to get rid of Roe v. Wade is religious-based, you haven't been paying attention because Satan is whispering in the ears of women. Isn't there something about lying in the whole Satan world, too? You're not supposed to lie. It's, it's a sin. Listen, Dan, you're the expert on that. Yeah. I, I don't know. And what a great default. Eh? When, you <laughs> ask legiti- when you ask legitimate questions about the, the existence of God, like why is there disease and famine? And it's like, well, it's Satan. Yeah, it's Satan. It. That's Satan. Yeah. But, but think about this. Tim, when I, that's why I mentioned To me, it sounds as ridiculous coming out of a grown person's mouth as if oh, she I said, know. listen, uh, you yes. know, uh, Miss Green, who do you think is responsible uh, for all these women wanting abortions? And if she had said Bart Simpson, that would have made as much sense, uh, sense yes. to me. Like, fuck, any, say anything but Satan from a book that was uh-huh. made up. Anyway. I got to go. I, I saw, I played that thing the other day where Jim Acosta is actually talking to her on the street. Yeah. And, you know, over at Fox News and that ilk, they hate Jim Acosta because he's straight up and good. He's just solid. And they hate that, of course. Yeah, of course. But he was just asking her questions about stuff she had tweeted and stuff she had texted and stuff she had said. And he's just asking her about it and she's denying it. And while she's denying what she said, which is documented, she's calling him a liar. Mm-hmm. Like, it's bizarre. You can't keep up with it. Like, like it, it, it's just frustrating. Well, what you just said is actually, just, that's people have been hearing this term the last few years. That's gaslighting. That's exactly yes. what gaslighting is. Mm-hmm. It's like, not only do I deny having said it, even though the tweets are up on the screen, I'm calling you a liar for saying I mm-hmm. said it. And then you start yeah. questioning yourself. You go, well, 
Maybe I am lying. <laughs> Maybe I am. Kyle Kirby, great work. Scott Morrison's book, as you can tell, we were excited to talk about it. Hopefully you'll uh, pick it up. The uh, Summit series that changed hockey forever. We're back tomorrow, and so is this fellow. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, and our newest sponsor, Hush Blankets, with a 100-night guarantee on all their products. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran, and remember to listen tomorrow for more of Satan whispering in your ear. Like us, we recommend five stars, and subscribe. There's a destination a little up the road From the habitations of the towns we know A place we saw the lights turn low The jigsaw jazz and the get fresh flow Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts Two turntables and a microphone Bottles and cans and just clap your hands Or just clap your hands Where's that?